Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Alivia skincare, and we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser, so it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it, and not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing, but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly. And it's not a soap. It is a prebiotic body cleanser. So it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome. And it works so well, especially if you have sensitive skin. It can help with eczema, pariasis, body acne, things like that. We love the green tea honeysuckle scent. It smells heavenly. It's so amazing. I usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping. And they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to alivia.com. That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15 and that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I am so excited today. I have a mom of twins here with me today. Emmy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your wisdom and your experience. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share and yeah. Yeah. I have been wanting to get, so I've been looking for parents, for moms of with kind of like different situations. So we had a mom who has narcolepsy on, um, a few weeks ago, and I was really excited to meet you, meet with you and talk to you about your experience with twins, because I think, you know, having twins is, I don't have twins. I don't know what it's like to have twins. I can only imagine. I mean, you know, my life was hard enough with one at a time, super highly sensitive kiddo with like tongue ties and lip ties and breathing issues. So 
um, you know, I get asked a lot, like, well, what about me? I have twins. And, you know, when you're talking about not sleep training, this just, this doesn't feel inclusive to me because I have twins and there's no way that I can do that. And I totally get that. Like, I think mom, twin parents are just, they have to be superheroes totally. Um, but I'm so interested to hear about your experience and your sleep journey, because I know that there are a lot of twin moms who get by without sleep training. And I think that, I think that what you share with us will probably be helpful to all parents, not just moms of twins. Um, but also, you know, it can of course, definitely, um, make moms of twins feel like, wow, maybe I can really do this. So with all of that being said, Emmy, would you just mind kind of sharing with us your experience with sleep and your kiddos, your twins? Right. So all of what you just said is so true. I think it is so common in the twin community or multiples community to think that sleep training is really your only option. Like you will not survive if you do not sleep train. And I, I went into um, having twins feeling the same way. I honestly didn't even have any idea that there was a different way to get your kids to sleep because before I had kids, that was just the norm. I just thought, oh, babies cry and then they go to sleep. I had no idea that there was another option. So when we brought the girls home from the hospital, we had cribs in their rooms we had bassinets in our room and that was our plan. Sleep in the bassinet in your own space or sleep in the crib. And I didn't really know that there was an option besides just letting your baby sleep in its own space. I had no idea how often newborns would wake up to eat. I really didn't know much. I had been a nanny before, but sleep, sleep was not a part of that job mm -hmm. description. So thankfully we were able to exclusively nurse, um, breastfeed. And so I would pull them in the bed to nurse and then put them back. And as newborns do, they woke up pretty frequently. And honestly, that first few days is, and then even first few weeks are kind of a blur at this point. Mm -hmm. But um, I just remember they woke up a lot. And a lot of times my husband would, I would be able to nurse and then he would be able to hold them and comfort them while I slept. And so after a few weeks of that, and I knew, I knew because I read, thankfully we have so many resources available to us. So I knew that the first few days and weeks were just they wake up a lot, they sleep a lot, they wake up a lot, they sleep a lot. And so I didn't expect to be on any kind of schedule at first. Um, but then after the first few weeks, it was like, okay, well, maybe we need to start getting them onto a schedule and a routine and they should be eating this amount. You know, you read the books. I had a friend who recommended, she's a twin mom, and she recommended a book that didn't really promote sleep training per se, but promoted like having your baby on a pretty strict schedule mm -hmm. from like six weeks. And so I'm reading this book and I'm like, okay, well, we need to do X, Y, and Z perfectly. And um, maybe I should be pumping. So we, you know, if they get a bottle, they'll sleep longer, mm -hmm. you know, all the things that are typically um, shared in 
sleep books or parenting books. And so we kind of, I, I knew that I never wanted to do any kind of crying it out or, you know, extended crying or anything like that. But I, what started to happen around um, two months, maybe I started saying, oh, well, they need to be on this schedule because this book says this and we kind of would do a routine and that would be good. And they would kind of fall asleep. But then within 45 minutes or an hour, they would wake up and Mm -hmm. I would get so frustrated. Like, well, how come they're not sleeping? How come the book says they're supposed to sleep this much and they're just not doing it. And so I think it was around three or four months, right when there's typically a sleep regression um, where I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Forget the books, like forget the Mm -hmm. books and I'm going to nurse them when they want to nurse. I'm going to um, hold them as much as they want to be held. And before that, it's not like I, I didn't hold them. It was just that I would try over and over pick you up, put you down, pick you up, put you down, you know, but then I was just like, I'm just going to hold my babies. And so we kind of got into a routine of, um, at nighttime, I would nurse them and then hold them while my husband and I just rested on the couch and they would just sleep right there with us, um, until we were ready to go to bed. And around five months is when I, um, transitioned them to a floor bed. So I knew that my husband would be going back to work. Thankfully, he had a really long, pater- sorry, thankfully he had a really long paternity leave. Mm-hmm. And so once I knew he was going to have to go back to work, I was like, I have to figure out how to get the babies to nurse by myself. Because at this point, I don't know, they were maybe seven pounds. So it wasn't like it was easy for me to juggle both of them at the same time. Right. At that point. And so the floor bed was our best option because then I could lay with them as they needed and I could turn to whichever baby needed me the most. Maybe they were more than seven pounds. I yeah, I was thinking five months. You have removed. a five month old. Emmy told me before no. getting on that she has a five month old and she's very tired. So we yes. understand. We all okay, understand. So at five months, they were probably like 14 pounds. My five month old now is about 17 pounds, Mm -hmm. but he's also full term. He actually almost went to 42 weeks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of a different situation, but so they, nonetheless, they were kind of hard to juggle and get out of their bassinet. At that point, we weren't, um, I would bed share with one as they needed. Um, but then put like, kind of, it was just like a whole like roulette, a wheel, person. Yeah. Nurse one, put one back and all of that. But then I knew that the floor bed would be our best option when my husband had to go back to work because then I could do it by myself. Mm -hmm. And so I would, um, sleep in the middle of them and nurse and I slept on my back and as safe, you know, safe, um, sleep seven. So no blankets. We just had a small blanket at the bottom, um, mm-hmm. pillows, you know. And so we just did that until they were about 14 months. And I would 
sleep with them, nurse them as they needed to. And then they kind of slowly weaned throughout the night and they just needed me less and less. And they started snuggling and sleeping with each other. And I think that was a big part of why I was able to gradually leave when they were ready um, because they had each other. And yeah. um, Yeah. So that was around 14 months. Yeah. Around 14 months and kind of on and off. Like I would still go in when they needed me, but, and we, I think we went out of town and, you know, going out of town kind of throws people's throws kids sleep schedules and things off. Yeah. Um, And now they're three. Now they're three years old. Do they still sleep in the same bed? They still sleep in the same bed in the floor bed. I'll have to send you a picture, but yeah, they, still sleep in the same bed together. And now we bed share with my five month old and yeah, it's a whole, it's totally different with one, but with twins, it was, it was all I knew. And so I just Mm -hmm. did as best I could. I nursed them, um, when I could, and I had a nursing pillow in the very beginning, the twinsy, you can bleep that out if <laughs> I don't want to do any advertising oh no that's okay it was a really soft nursing pillow that allowed me to nurse them together and so when one woke I would wake the other one up even if they weren't ready just to nurse mm-hmm. um, and try to keep them on the same not a schedule but keep them in sync yeah and they're still pretty in sync today Yeah. And I think that's so important. That's probably like, I think that's where it's maybe just a little bit different. Um, I mean, it's, there's a lot of ways that it's different having twins from one. Um, but that's probably one of the ways that it's really different when we're talking about sleep is because, you know, the baby led approach, child led approach is really about responsive feeding and responsive sleeping and, um, you know, really following your child's lead. And I think you can still do that with twins, but it also isn't harmful to like when one twin wants to nurse to offer the other twin nursing as well. It doesn't mean you're forcing them to drink milk, but offering it to them. So then hopefully their schedules and their, you know, just kind of their cycles are more linked up and you, so you're not waking literally every like 30 minutes or every hour. So maybe you are getting a couple of, um, longer stretches of sleep and there's a way to do that. That is still respectful. Right. And that was my goal again, just even during the day I would offer. Um, and I think, just knowing that you cannot overfeed a breastfed baby and uh-huh. offering as much as they want to eat, they will eat. And I think that helped us in a lot of ways with breastfeeding and sleep. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is so helpful. And I do. So I actually have um, my book one of the books mm-hmm. that I use all the time in front of me, it's professor James McKenna's book, safe infant sleep. Since we're talking about bed sharing with twins, because that is a question I get asked a lot from twin parents, because you really don't see a lot of information out there. I mean, you don't see a lot of information about bed sharing in general, but then especially when it comes to twins. And that's, I think one of the barriers to this method of um, parenting and approaching sleep for twin parents is that they feel like they don't have any resources because a lot of even the safe bed sharing guidelines will say like siblings shouldn't sleep together. And, um, you know, there's just not a lot of information. So 
Professor James McKenna does have a section about twins and multiples. And so I do just want to read like a very small piece of that right here. Mm -hmm. um, so this is from his book, again, Safe Infant Sleep. So he says, as with any aspect of caring for twins or multiples, there are added challenges to breast sleeping. My general recommendations are to place at least one multiple back in the crib or bassinet after feeding, sleeping with one multiple at a time to place both or to place both or all infants back in the same crib or bassinet to co-bed with each other or to place two or more bassinets next to each other. So his general recommendation, if you can swing it, which it sounds like what you guys were initially doing when um, mm -hmm. your husband wasn't working, wasn't back at work yet, was kind mm -hmm. of this rotation of like one, one multiple sleeps with you at a time, breastfeeds, mm -hmm. and then he, one of them kind of goes in the bassinet and then the other one comes mm -hmm. in and they kind of switch places as needed. So then he says, if regularly breast sleeping with your twins or multiples, it is essential to have a king size bed and a partner who is more than a passive participant, who has agreed to work with you to take responsibility for knowing exactly where each baby is at all times. If the second adult does not agree to actively participate, but you want to continue to breast sleep, then do not leave one infant between yourself and your partner. Have all multiples in front of you so that you can curve your body around them and shield them from your bedmate. Um, keeping your infants at some distance from each other will be important too, only because it's likely for one baby to want to snuggle close to you and in the process snuggle perhaps too close to his or her sibling. Um, and then the rest of the normal safe bed sharing guidelines using only the lightest of blankets, mm -hmm. um, things like that. So that's basically what he says. And then he also has a section in here about co-bedding, which is like having them in the same crib. So if you mm -hmm. have twins and you're interested, I would get this book safe infant sleep because it does, um, talk about that. And this is really the only major resource that I've seen that talks about co-sleeping with twins. Um, and so what you said you did, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, was on the floor bed. It was just you and the twins. Your husband wasn't sleeping in there at the time. And then you slept in between them and one was on either side of you, right? Right. And at that point, they were about five months. Mm -hmm. So I felt okay and I felt comfortable as long as I stayed on my back and kind of like a kind of a, what's the word am I looking, <laughs> I'm looking for? Uh, like, like, like your the arms, C shape, but in a different kind with of way. With your like, arms. And, yeah. yeah, with my arms, but not my legs. Yeah. And um, yeah, so they would kind of just lay there and not move a whole lot. Um, yeah. And just nurse as, as needed yeah. throughout the night. That's so helpful to hear how you navigated that. So mm -hmm. I'm always curious about twins. You know, did you find that they would wake each other up a lot or did they kind of sleep through each other's noises? In the very beginning when they were newborns, I don't think they woke each other up too much. And then I think as they got older, they learned to sleep through each other's noises. Mm -hmm. At this point, they wake up and one will try to wake the other one up. But in the very beginning, they did really well not to wake each other up. Yeah. And that's probably because, so babies are born with something called a stimulus barrier. Mm -hmm. And what that means is it basically allows their brain to filter out stimuli that they don't need. So mm -hmm. noise, light, 
you know, things like that, that they don't need. And so that's why our newborns in general often just sleep really well. Like they can sleep Mm -hmm. anywhere. It doesn't matter what noise is going on. They can usually sleep through it, but then usually around like three months, maybe four months is when their stimulus barrier is going away. And that's when we Mm -hmm. notice. And it also, you know, usually coincides with the, that four month sleep progression. Um, but around that time is when you often see babies being just more wakeful and more, Mm -hmm. um, like disturbed during sleep by noises and things like that. So I, I would Mm -hmm. imagine that that was probably similar to the timeline of the changes that you saw in that. Um, But then again, that's when, you know, trying to get them on sync would be helpful as well. Mm -hmm. In terms of like, did you do anything ever to, did you have any sleep issues with them um, or challenges that you needed to actually address? Like, I don't know, split nights where they were awake for a long time during the middle of the night, or like you had to shift patterns and like, maybe you didn't, but I'm just curious if you ever navigated any, anything like that with them. Remember, I know we had a lot of just the typical sleep ups and downs. And- yeah. Ups and downs and no split nights, thankfully. Yeah. I think that that's really tough. I have a friend right now who's still struggling with that with her three-year-old there were periods where they would wake more frequently and we would adjust the bedtime accordingly and things Mm -hmm. like that we we did try to keep a consistent routine of dinner bath and bed Mm -hmm. and so I think knowing I really believe that children thrive on consistency and that doesn't mean that it has to be you know a per perfect in timing but just knowing what to expect next right and so that's kind of what we try to do from pretty early on yeah and that 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 difference I talk about this a lot with you know not having them on a perfect schedule or the same Mm -hmm. exact time schedule every night but the routine Mm -hmm. is more about this sequence of events that happen before bed and it helps them. It reduces stress because really Mm -hmm. any of us, when we know what to expect, we know what's coming that reduces our stress. And the same Mm -hmm. is true even more so for our babies and our kids. So that's why routines can be so helpful. Um, did they, any of those challenges, did they tend to experience them together? Like they went through the same thing or did you ever have situations where one of them was doing something and the other one wasn't? It's funny because another thing I did want to mention is for at least the first year, I held them for every nap or Mm -hmm. laid down with them for every nap. Mm -hmm. There were a few times when, you know, I would lay down and then kind of roll away and that worked, but for the majority of naps. So I think because I was doing that, a lot of their sleep things came up at the same time together. So they would sleep together and they would kind of go through those patterns of up and downs together. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really helpful for us. And I know that's not always the case, but I think because I consistently held them for naps and just did attended to every need that they had versus just letting them roll around in the crib or whatever some books would recommend that just kept them in sync so much. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about like these parents that have 
not very much support. So mothers specifically that don't have a lot of support. And I'm just wondering if you have any ideas about, and maybe you would have handled it the same as you did at like five months, but if like Mm -hmm. your husband wasn't able to be involved at night, how do you think you would have approached sleep? Um, if you were just totally on your own from day one, that's a good, Sorry, I'm just, it's a loaded question. I'm just putting you under pressure. You know, I think again, in the beginning, you just, it's survival mode. You just Mm -hmm. do whatever it takes to nurse your babies and sleep as much as you can. I having the the nursing pillow was really beneficial. So I highly recommend that and just nursing on demand as much as possible. And then throughout the day, trying to do things that really help you with self-care so that you mm-hmm. can kind of be restored throughout the day. And then at nighttime, have a little more energy and a little more in your cup. Um, yeah. I always in the early days, it was so important to me to take a shower during the day, something so Mm -hmm. simple that would just be restorative. And in the very beginning, you just do whatever you can. And then as in the like three, four weeks, just kind of navigate from there. I think it gets easier easier. I think it gets, um, a little less challenging. You can find your rhythm and then maybe transition to the floor bed and a bassinet that I guess that would be my Mm -hmm. recommendation. Just doing that floor bed, because then that you can do the sideline for nursing or tandem nurse a lot easier. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you said is so true about filling your cup during the day, making sure that you have help support, you have the things that you need to get you through. And I think that's so true of every parent, every Mm -hmm. new parent, not just parents of twins. Um, and I, you know, it kind of sounds cliche, but it's something that we, we need to talk about. I mean, this is the time where I know not everybody has the resources, but if you do use them, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like for you, we can prioritize what we need to. And for some families, you know, that might mean let's get rid of cable for a few months so that we can save up and hire somebody to cook for us for a month or two, or however long you can, or clean Mm -hmm. for us. Or, you know, do you have a village? Do you have a community in your neighborhood? Do you have a church community? Do you have a big family that can help you with meals, with cleaning, um, you know, things like that. And so just thinking about how you can get people to help you how you can get people to, you know, come over and take care of the older kids so that mom can nap mm-hmm. um, during the day. I mean, those things are so important. Even things as simple as that don't really cost any money, but if it's possible and you have a partner involved, you know, this is something that we did a lot was my husband, thankfully, um, has always had a pretty flexible work schedule that he can like decide what time he goes into work. And like, he has to work a certain number of hours a week, but he doesn't have like a set fixed schedule. And so we would always do this thing where like, he likes to go into work really early, but we would always have him go into work later in those early days so Mm -hmm. that, he could take over at like 4.35 in the morning, let me have a couple of hours of uninterrupted sleep. And then he would go to work. And so then I at least, I mean, that two hours of uninterrupted sleep did everything for me in those early days. Um, And so even something as simple as that, if you can swing it, we can be creative and think about, um, you know, obviously we're not in an ideal, most of us are not in ideal circumstances where Mm -hmm. we live in this supportive society where we're in a village and we have, you know, five people that are helping us with our baby. Unfortunately, we don't, most of us don't have that. 
but there are things that we can do to improve the situation that we're in right now. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest parts of just like, just accepting this is where you're at, like your baby is a baby and they're going to sleep like a baby. And how do you implement some external support Mm -hmm. so that you can get through those tough times? Mm -hmm. And I will say in the, in the very beginning, it's just so important. The support piece is key, of course, but it's so important for you to remind yourself that your only job is to hold your baby to nurse your baby or however you're feeding your baby, but just that, that is your job. You don't, they, you don't need to clean. You don't need to try to keep the rest of the house going. It's just Mm -hmm. so important that you're, it's okay to sit down with your baby for hours and hold them for hours a day. You know, I know the dynamic changes when you have older children. I -hmm. didn't have older children. (laughs) Thankfully we were in newborn land and now we're in toddler land with the newborn, but which is a whole different ball game, maybe even more challenging than having twins. I don't know. In some ways, thankfully he's pretty easy going, but I'm just, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that I don't want any moms to feel guilty for holding their baby too much because there are other things that are on their to-do list and you can just never hold your baby too much. Yeah. And it's so tough because we do have, um, you know, we, we're in a society right now where we don't have, at least in the States, we don't have, um, federal maternity leave. We don't have mandated maternity leave. A lot of women don't get a lot of time off of work. So it is hard because, you know, some of us get more time off. Some of us don't maybe don't work because we choose not to work. Some of us are self-employed like myself, and I can kind of choose my schedule and how much time I take off. And I know that not everybody has that luxury. So it is tough. There are other nuances here. Um, and I don't want to dismiss those tough circumstances. Um, but the reality is, is that our babies need to be held and they need to Mm -hmm. be, they need to be close to us. And so it is, it is really tough. Um, I was going somewhere with that. And I totally lost my train of thought. I don't have a five month old like you do. I have a 16 month old, but he is teething. He has molars popping through. And so he's not sleeping very well right now because he has those molars are the worst. Um, But yeah, you know, I, oh, and that's what I was going to say. Baby wearing too. Did you ever do Mm -hmm. baby wearing with them? Right. So when, when they were older, I never... I guess I always felt bad that I could only wear one at a time, but sometimes I would do one at a time, whichever one needed me the most. And Mm -hmm. if the other one was content to be put down. So that could be really helpful if you don't have as much support as well. Yeah. And, but when they were about six months and had good um, trunk support and could sit up on their own, then I would wear one on the front and one on the back. And mm-hmm. I really like doing that um, when they needed me to. Yeah. I have seen, I think, am I right? There are some brands of carriers now that are made specifically for twins and like for mm-hmm. front carrying um, twins. And then I think that even some of the wrap styles or the, mm-hmm. maybe the slings, there are some different methods that you can use to, like, I think you can do two slings at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are ways, you know, if you kind of just research and, and mm-hmm. look those things up, there are ways I think to baby wear two, two little babies on the yes. front if they can't go on the back. There are, there. I've seen people do it. I guess I was just not 
ever see, I didn't feel confident in my yeah. own abilities, but I do know that people do it and mm-hmm. it seems to work well because yeah. yeah, babies need to be held a lot in the, in the beginning, depending on their temperament, but typically, typically in the beginning, um, yeah. every baby wants to be held. <laughs> yeah. And I also think it's important to maybe just point out here too, that Um, you know, we're not saying, well, I'm not saying that you need to respond to all of your baby's cries within half a second. You need to be picking up because especially we, and I know this from having a toddler and a baby at one time when my toddler was very, you know, she was very emotional. When my baby was born, I couldn't always pick him up because sometimes I had to be comforting her too. And so like, I had so many moments in those early months where I had a crying toddler, crying, screaming toddler, having a tantrum in my arms who really needed me and a baby laying on the floor next Mm -hmm. to me as I was sitting on the floor and I had my hand on him and I was talking to him. And I think that's also probably true with twins. I can Mm -hmm. imagine that you can't always tend to both of them by holding them at the same time. But, um, so that's not what we're saying because that expectation would lead any parent, especially somebody who is parenting at for any amount of time by themselves, it would just lead you to like going insane and feeling like you were failing. Um, and so that's not the only way to co-regulate with your baby. There are so Mm -hmm. many ways that you can co-regulate. You can hold one, you can sing to the other, talk Mm -hmm. to the other, have a hand on the other. Um, it's not just about always holding, you know, there are ways. Mm -hmm. And I think intent also matters. It's not just that we're, um, leaving them alone because our goal is to teach them to stop crying and to self-soothe. Like that's a whole different story than I have two babies right now who really need me. And I can only pick up one of them right now, but the other one I'm going to still talk to and sing to, and then I'll switch off when I can. Right. Did you ever experience moments like that? And how did you get through them? Absolutely. Just kind of how you said I would hold whichever one needed me most in that moment and then talk to the other one as needed and sing and say, Hey, you know, I'm with your sister right now. And mm-hmm. when I can get to you, I, I will get to you. I mean, I think, I think about having to change their diapers, even, yeah. you know, one could be fussy and the other one had a big blowout and I had to change, you know, you have to, in parenting, my biggest thing has been, just do the next thing, do the next thing that needs to be done. And then, and just keep pushing on and sorry, they're it's okay. They're a little bit fussy right now. I think everyone, everyone listening to this podcast (laughs) understands the kids crying in the background. Yeah. Just do the next thing. And when I feel overwhelmed, you know, sometimes I might need to, I remember, you know, there were a number of times when I felt really overwhelmed because of the typical witching hour. And I would be by myself with two Mm -hmm. very fussy babies and just taking a deep breath and maybe sometimes crying with them and just trying to figure out what is the next thing that I can do. Yeah. I can go outside a lot of to the next one and mm-hmm. just do my best. And I learned pretty early on, and I'm thankful for this, but I learned that crying is always communication and never manipulation. And right. so just knowing that and trying to just give them my best. And sometimes my best is 
better on in some situations Mm. than others yeah Um, for sure just trying to give it my best and be attentive to them and yeah yeah and just grace upon grace for both Mm -hmm. for you for the babies for your partner I think that's such a huge thing in parenting it's just everybody Mm -hmm. gets grace none of us are perfect none of us can you know totally respond to our babies within half a second every time but we do the best we can and everything will be fine um Emmy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom with us. I am sure this will help a lot of parents. I know you have hope so <laughs> upset kiddos back there. So I yeah. will let you go. Um, but I with dad, so they're not <laughs> he can just, handle like, it. locked in there or yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. But we, we really appreciate um, you being here with us today. Yeah, I'm happy. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.